The humble honeybee might not seem like a critical part of our food chain, especially if you'd rather have salty food than sweet. But honeybees are critical pollinators. Without bees, apples, blackberries, and cherries can't grow, nor can cucumbers, sunflowers, or alfalfa. Nationwide, the agricultural industry relies on honeybees to pollinate $14 billion in crops every year, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It's estimated that bees play a role in the production of one-third of our food. The alarming news is that beekeepers across the United States lost 33% of their honeybee colonies between April 2016 to April 2017, a phenomenon known as colony collapse disorder. Luckily, hobby beekeeping is on the rise throughout the United States, but a bigger question is can hobby beekeepers and bee evangelists save the ecosystem? After this short break, I'm going to talk with Dr. Larry Connor, an entomologist, author, national speaker, and monthly columnist for Bee Culture Magazine and the American Bee Journal. You can find his quality bee books and other resources at WICWAS.com. We'll be right back. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services which lay a solid foundation under the business owner's dream. Sign up for their free monthly newsletter at sageintl.com. That's sageintl.com. Ready to jump into the world of beekeeping? For those of you who don't know, Peter, my fiance, and I are backyard beekeepers and are both amazed and delighted as we continue to learn about honeybees and the effect we believe we're making on our community. My guest, Dr. Larry Connor, who has written many books on beekeeping and speaks at conferences nationally, including the American Beekeeping Federation Conference and Trade Show coming to the Grand Sierra Resort in January, I'm also very excited that the Mason Valley Beekeepers are hosting a day with Dr. Larry Connor in Yearington, Nevada on January 15, 2018. To learn more about this event and the Nevada State Beekeepers Conference, you can go to masonvalleybeekeepers.org. So with that, let me welcome Dr. Larry Connor. Well, thank you for joining me. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. Well, I would like for you to, you know, first tell us why you think it's important that, you know, perhaps we do need to create a new generation of beekeepers with what's going on and, and what your experience and knowledge about the, the entire industry of beekeeping. Well, people have been keeping bees for probably thousands of years. Uh, and the, the move to uh, movable frame eyes, which happened about uh, 1850, 1860, meant that beekeepers could make new hives and uh, take one hive and make two or three out of it over the course of the year. And this has really been the, the key part of building back up from any kind of loss, whether it's a natural loss due to weather or, as, as you mentioned, the colony collapse disorder, which is a long range of a long list of problems that are attributed to be uh, part of that um, that allow beekeepers to recover some some of their losses and build back up and even expand their operations. So, 
technically, we're now uh, at a slightly higher level of beekeeping than we were probably uh, 10, 12 years ago because of the interest by people like yourselves um, in building beekeeping up and serving as a hobby bee, uh, hobby beekeeper, and doing what they can to help the honeybee. Well, yeah, and, you know, once you really discover and learn their little ecosystem and everything going on with the honeybee, it's quite fascinating. And every time we tell someone, oh, yes, we're beekeepers, there's a lot of people that have an interest. But, you know, Larry, as you know, there's always a lot of fear or trepidation or, you know, it's a whole new set of knowledge. And so what is it that you share with people that say that to you? Oh, I've always wanted to be a beekeeper. I mean, where do we start? Well, we're, we're beginning to become a little more selective about um, working with people when they say, oh, I want some bees. Some people want to have bees on their property, but they don't really want to be beekeepers. And so you have to sort those folks out. Um, and the people that have real estate that want to um, have bees on their property for whatever reason. And there's, there's now this specialty subgroup of beekeepers who provide bees uh, as a service. In other words, they come in and the, the landowner owns the bees, but they're under contract with these beekeepers to manage them. And the owner can then come in and participate at whatever level they are comfortable doing. And some, of course, they don't want to have anything to do with the bees. But other people, they, you know, they're in there and they're tearing the combs apart and so forth. But they're doing it with somebody who is knowledgeable about bees. And I advocate, you know, new beekeepers have a mentor, somebody they can work with. And so it's a way of getting started. Other bee people are doing like the uh, Yarrington group is doing, and that is having training sessions uh, for the community of beekeepers around and future beekeepers that can come in and learn more about what's involved in keeping bees, how to keep bees, how to keep bees alive, which I think is the theme of the program I'll be doing there in Yarrington. So these are all components of a rather dynamic uh, process that's going on. There are, are, of course, commercial beekeepers. And when we talk about crop pollination, we're talking about a very few hundred, maybe a thousand beekeepers that who are involved in moving bees around the country for pollination from everything from the alm almonds, the alfalfa, blueberries, blackberries, apples, um, and all these different crops around the country, moving the bees in for that pollination need and then moving them out for honey production uh, somewhere else. And that's a small group of people. It's an important part of the industry. And a lot of those folks will be in at the meeting in Reno. But the, the average beekeeper probably has under 10 hives of bees and does something else for income, although it's very easy to have uh, a, a dozen colonies of bees and make a nice little side income from them because of the value of the honey the beeswax, and the products that you can make with both. Well, that, so it's pretty, yeah. pretty exciting. It's pretty amazing, all the different products. Once, you know, <laughs> it's, it's that typical thing. Once you're now a beekeeper, you start to notice all the different products that you could be made. I mean, I've seen lollipops and candy to, of course, candles. And I have just recently seen where somebody's now making, like, plastic wrap with beeswax coating so you can wash them right. instead of instead throwing of, them away instead of throwing <laughs> wrapping paper while they're using yeah. a beeswax wrap 
for sandwiches and snacks and, you know, containers that you put in the refrigerator, which all makes a lot of sense. And there are probably other products that work to do the same thing. But when you're using the beeswax, you know a little bit more about the origin of the beeswax and what you're working with. So uh, it's always it's always good. And one of the things that I always like to point out to people is that we have honey is treated as a global commodity. And that means there are people that are buying and selling honey around the world. And that price has nothing to do with the price of honey that you see on the shelf at a uh, farmer's market or uh, wherever you buy your honey. Because I, I tell beekeepers, they ought to know their, or excuse me, honey buyers, they ought to know their beekeeper. If you know your beekeeper, you know you've got somebody you, uh, can you can say okay? What's what's the what's the floral source? And some of the commercial honeys you come into, you look at it and see. Um, I don't know anything about this. It may be a wonderful product, and you're welcome to sample it and try it. But quite often, people are happier when they find a beekeeper locally and they buy honey from that person. That price can be multiples of the the world price, if you will, because it's in a small jar. It represents a lot of labor. And um, you're not dealing with barrels of honey. You're dealing with a pound or two of honey at a time. And it's a whole different market. Absolutely. And and once we, you know, announced and produced, we got 18 pounds of honey out of one of our hives this year. You, uh, All the people are, oh, I want to buy your honey next year because of the allergies. And, and they know, you know, they were in the backyard. They saw where it was sourced. And it's just been really a fascinating journey. But I do want to touch on the fact that, you know, this was not something that we jumped into lightly, which you're a huge advocate for as well. A lot of your books really on the education of this is a big decision and you really want to spend time to educate yourself, make sure that your yard is ready and that you're ready and, you know, a little bit of an investment up front. And so... You know, what is the one thing you would tell someone that says, gosh, I, I really am interested. What's the first thing I should do? Well, I think everybody should do their homework, as you suggest. And what what's included in that? Well, go to a program that you're going to hear about bees and beekeeping. And what we're doing with the Yarrington Group is an example of that. There are things you can go to. Um, of course, you can always read my books which is a great thing. You know, several of them deal with getting started, but some of them are dealing with more advanced beekeeping, and so they're not necessarily ideal for the brand-new beekeeper. Um, I know that at the American Beekeeping Federation, I'm speaking, I believe it's Wednesday of that week, and there is a group for small-scale and hobby beekeepers. That's an ideal day if you want to pick one day to come and participate in that program. Even if you don't have bees, but if you're in the Reno area, it'd be a fun place to go to um, to see what's going on. And then you get to go to the trade show, which is probably the best in the world. Well, I think so. And and so you get to see all these different people and all the different products and say, do I really need this? What do I need to have to start with bees? And you start becoming um, educated in terms of the equipment, the terminology, uh, the vocabulary of beekeeping that uh, everybody needs to learn. Absolutely. 
And you're talking about the American Beekeeping Federation conference and trade show that'll be here at the GSR in January, but also through the Mason Valley Beekeepers, they're hosting a day with Dr. Larry Connor in Yearington. So you wanna check out masonvalleybeekeepers.org. And then one final plug, you've written many books, many articles, you have wonderful resources on your website which is WICWAS.com. So Larry, we have to go to another break. We come back, we're gonna pick up on this conversation about, you know, hey, let's save the bees. We'll be right back. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services which lay a solid foundation under the business owner's dream. Sign up for their free monthly newsletter at sageintl.com. That's sageintl.com. Welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to the Sherry Hill Show. Very excited having a wonderful conversation with Dr. Larry Connor, who is an entomologist, a prolific author on everything that has to do with beekeeping and getting started as a beekeeper. He's a national speaker and is a monthly columnist for Bee Culture Magazine and the American Bee Journal, both excellent magazines. So, Larry, we were talking about, you know, the importance of getting educated before you make a decision about being a beekeeper. And I'm noticing that, you know, there's a lot of push now to really educate young people, children, about, you know, getting over this fear that bees are mean and they're going to sting you and all of that. So how important is that for uh, creating new beekeepers on our planet? I think it's pretty important. Uh, I started out, uh, uh, my first exposure to bees was as a kid on the farm. I live in Michigan now, and I started out as a farm boy in Michigan. Uh, we had bees on the farm because we had apple trees, and we needed the bees for pollination. Um, and so all my life, I've had some, con some contact with bees. But most kids don't have that opportunity. And so it's always fun to have a chance for you know, children of all ages to um, talk to a beekeeper, talk to somebody who works with bees in general, not just honeybees, but wild bees, bumblebees, leafcutters, bees, all these really fascinating insects. And, uh, of course, other pollinators as well, the butterflies, even bats pollinate. And so it's fun for kids to learn about that. And then let them find their own track, you know, what they want to be interested in some of these things. Um, of course, some kids will never be more than just a honey eater, and that's always a good thing. But I think that when kids hit their, their teenage years, preteen and teenage years, it's a good time to expose them to um, bees and beekeeping. And uh, many of the local beekeeping clubs have uh, youth programs where they work with these people. They provide them with scholarships in some cases where they provide them with the bees 
a bee suit, a smoker, other equipment that's needed when you work with bees. And then the most important thing is they provide them with mentors, with teachers. We're going to work with them sometimes one-to-one so that they have that experience of opening up the colony with safety and not being afraid of the bees, learning when in terms of the time of day and type of weather you can open up a colony, and develop some confidence because if you just jump in and you're frightened of the bees, that's not going to do anybody any good, you or the bees. And bees generally are not um, angry. Uh, you know, people confuse honeybees with uh, stinging uh, wasps and uh, yellow jackets and so forth. And they can be pretty aggressive. But honeybees generally, if they're going to do anything, they're going to defend their nest. So we say that honeybees can become defensive, if, especially if they've been um, mishandled by a new beekeeper or something else has happened around them. Heavy machinery useful sometimes set them off. So these are the things we teach new beekeepers, regardless of their age, right. so that they're confident when they go in and work with the bees. Let's, let's also talk about, you know, because you do travel around the country, and of course, a lot of people when spring comes are running out to their local big box store to buy all these plants and flowers. And while we know that, you know, colony collapse disorder and the plight of the bees is more than just one or two things, however, the plants that these particular big box stores are producing are not helping. There's some understanding that um, there's a special group of uh, insecticides that are systemic, and the chemical goes into the plant, and the, the argument is that it goes into the nectar and into the pollen, so when you go to a box store and you buy a, a flat of marigolds, let's say, perhaps these plants have been treated uh, with a soil treatment that includes this insecticide. And these plants now inc- contain that insecticide. Um, and not to pick on any particular uh, uh, brand, but there are, uh, you know, classification of uh, insecticides called the neonix, the new nic- nicotine-type plant uh, protection insecticides. And they've been linked to a variety of problems in the beehive. And the, while there's not a direct line from the neonix to um, colony collapse disorder, there have been a lot of lines drawn that, you know, you say, okay, they're, they're involved in, in some of these issues, so we have to be careful around them. So what's the answer? Well, it's going to be awfully hard to change the way people produce bedding plants. Uh, Like I said earlier about knowing your local beekeeper, maybe we have to get to know our local plant producer and buy, you know, our our flowers and so forth that we are going to put in our garden. And I certainly don't want any vegetable plants, tomatoes or cucumbers or whatever it might be, those plants. I want them to be pesticide-free. They're going to go into my garden because I don't want to eat that myself. So these are the things that I think we have to address and make sure that somehow there's a, you know, you know, a sign on these plants or certification that says they've not been treated. So knowing somebody who's local or having a box store that is able to cooperate on this, um, certainly anybody who buys from a box store has the right to ask, have these been treated with any of these insecticides? And if they can't say no, um, don't buy them. All right. Uh, it's that simple. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and I'm not talking about just honeybee health here. I'm talking about the health of a lot of different organisms, including humans, that we want to make sure that these uh, food groups, uh, the foods that we're, we're growing are, are clean. So the opposite ex- uh, would be to go to the farmer's market and buy bedding plants there from somebody you know and you trust, you've worked with over the years, and you buy your marigolds or your tomato plants or whatever they are. You know they've been produced, produced without these chemicals, there are other chemicals out there, and there are also people who are working to to use organic-based materials. All of these things work in our in our favor, and so the more we can do of that, the better off we're all going to be. I think. One of the other issues, of course, that comes up for a lot of people that you know are not in the beekeeping world, they end up finding a huge hive in their their home or their attic or wherever, and so of course. There are people who specialize in, you know, removing these swarms and and so on. So, you know, a huge part of our message as beekeepers, whether it's, you know, planting plants that are not pesticide, you know, grown, and then also just recognizing that, you know, there are ways that you can deal with swarms. So do you guys have a lot of that in uh, Michigan back there? <laughs> we have a lot out uh, here for some reason. Bee removal? Yes. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's huge. I have a friend in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and all he does is social insects. He does the wasp bees and honeybees. And... Um, uh, I hate to say it, but, you know, his business is buzzing. Yeah. No, he's, his, his, uh, um, the number of people who have social insects. And of course people say, I've got bees in my house and he gets out there and then they're, they're not honeybees, they're wasps. You know, he can handle it. The average beekeeper couldn't do that because the average beekeeper doesn't have the certification at least in most states, to do the chemical work if they have to use chemicals or to do the removal work if they're going to take a nest out, which usually, you know, with the wasps and so forth, would involve some application. And then cleaning up the nest so that it's all been removed. So, yes, we have, I think this is a problem everywhere in this country uh, as far as uh, having uh, uh, a variety of uh, bees getting into structures and, of course, in nature, they're getting into hollow trees and yeah. something we have to be aware of. Well, and, and to educate. So if, if that's in your home, then you, know, right. you certainly that's want right. to call someone who's an expert in that. And, and you know, bottom line is, and, and Larry, you're an entomologist, so you know as well as I know that, you know, there's a lot of really good bugs and and we need them and there's more of them on the planet than us and so just from an educational perspective yes we're talking about honeybees but overall the you know the bugs of the planet are important and necessary if somebody thinks they've got um, wasps and they're not sure if they're wasps or honeybees they shouldn't they shouldn't do a treatment with an insecticide because what happens if you spray a honeybee hive with an insecticide and you contaminate the honey that's in that in that hive? That's a, that's a concern. So be careful. Know what you're doing before you put on an insecticide. Good rule anywhere. Secondly, if you're interested in starting with bees, come to this program. Uh, the Mason County Group is involving in hearing, but come to the Federation meeting in uh, Reno and be selective about going online because there's some people out there that are self-appointed experts, but there's some good university-based programs. University of California, Davis, 
University of Minnesota and, and uh, University of Florida, three I really promote because they've got good, strong programs and they help people um, become established. And uh, if you're going to get the bees, take your time, enjoy it. It's not uh, for everybody, but if you're one of those people that enjoys getting out and working in nature, it's a great thing to do. What you're talking about is the Mason Valley Beekeepers are hosting a day with Dr. Larry Connor in Earington, Nevada on January 15th, 2018. So, of course, you can learn more about that and the Nevada State Beekeepers Conference that'll be in February at masonvalleybeekeepers.org. For Dr. Larry Connor, you want to go out and check out his resources at wicwas.com. A lot of great books, videos, information, and then, of course, the opportunity to meet and learn from you in person at the uh, day that you're coming out to Urington. So want to thank you. I look forward to meeting you. Well, great, and you're welcome. Well, that is the Sherry Hill Show for this week, where, as you know, business is amplified. Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show. And tune in next week, same time, same station, for the Sherry Hill Show. There is risk in owning investment real estate in your personal name. Sage International Incorporated, a local business, has been helping new and seasoned real estate investors with their real estate investment strategy by forming LLCs, series LLCs, and corporations for over 23 years to protect their real estate assets. Call 775-786-5515 for a free 30-minute consultation. That's 775-786-5515. Call Sage International 775-786-5515.